in a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Welcome to the CEO Raider podcast. It is your host, John Mayetta. Haven't been with you all for a while. We're back online. In my most recent podcast, you may have heard me complain, we, we on the publishing side had some difficulty publishing content over the weekend. SoundCloud was down for those of us in, in the podcast space who published to, to SoundCloud. weren't able to do so over the weekend. And I was pretty upset about it because many of us are on SoundCloud's enterprise service plan and the company doesn't have a, a service channel. You know, they don't have a customer contact number or anything of the sort to resolve these issues. And so I, I dug out the CEO's email address, Carrie Trainer, and didn't hear anything for about 36, 48 hours, somewhere in there, a couple of days. But Sunday afternoon, I want to give him kudos because he reached out personal, personally with a resolution to the problem. They put a patch through and fixed it. So I was critical of the company, and I still am to the extent that I think they should have a service channel for enterprise customers. But I want to give kudos to Kerry for him making the effort to resolve the problem and for reaching out personally. So that was first. Um, one thing we, we did not cover, we had sort of a truncated podcast last week, is what to expect in, in 2019. So we did that interview, if you haven't listened to it, episode 237 with Bill Stone, who's the, the founder, chairman, CEO of SSNC Technologies. If you're in the fintech space, you know Bill Stone. We'll do more of those in 2019, but we're not moving to an interview, a purely interview-driven format. It's just not, to, to do so is really a, a, a business unto itself. So we'll conduct interviews sporadically. You could expect them to be in the fintech space because it's a space I kind of grew up in. Fintech slash insurance tech, although primarily more on the on the, the, the banking side of fintech. You could expect to, to see content from us around artificial intelligence, around cybersecurity, when I say AI, I mean sort of the whole bundle on the artificial intelligence side. So AI-driven apps, decision support, robotics, and I'm talking about robotics in the AI space, so the, the automation of, of functions in the machine learning layer. So the whole, the whole stack around AI. And that's where the preponderance of the, of the content will be on the, on the interview side. Uh, and, and further, we'll continue to, to discuss corporate governance-related issues capital allocation, this sort of thing. We published a piece this morning at, at Tech Today around stock buybacks, which we've talked about previously. And if you listen to the show regularly, you know we're not a fan of stock buybacks there. Sort of an undisciplined approach toward returning capital to shareholders. I know because I've conducted one. I wasn't a, a fan of it when I did it. Um, I think there's a better way to return capital to shareholders, and that's through a dividend. I think what happens with buybacks is it becomes arbitrary. You can you can try to operationalize it, but there's, it, it, it's as much art as it is science. And what, what happens is it becomes it can become an afterthought. And if you acquiesce as a company to pressure from your large institutional investors to do a buyback, then once you announce it, there's pressure to execute on it. So what happens is you end up executing sherry purchases when the stock's too high, or you allocate too much of the stock repurchase allotment too soon. And I haven't seen the math, and we're certainly not going to do it. Um, we just don't have the manpower. But I've seen uh, studies around buybacks, sort of snapshots in time. I haven't seen anything very comprehensive. But the snapshot studies that I've seen show that companies tend to repurchase shares at inopportune times. 
And if they were to wait for periods where there's a dislocation with, with their stock, you know, a company-specific issue, or if they were to wait for periods to conduct a, to execute a buyback specifically when you have a, a downturn, sort of like you had in, in 08, which was a massive downturn. But if you do it very opportunistically, as opposed to the drip and drab approach, which is what most companies do, where they buy back a little stock every day or every week, and you just really don't get efficient execution. You end up spending too much money on, on the stock at, at points in time when it's when it's rich. Much better to return capital via a, a dividend. And I wrote the article because it, it, it's been a trend for the past decade with technology companies where pressure from institutional investors and effective sales jobs by investment bankers have convinced companies to execute these share buybacks. And I'd like to see more companies do a dividend like SS&C just announced a few weeks ago or several weeks ago. That, that was more common when I first started to cover technology companies back in the early 2000s, a, a, a dividend. So between paying a dividend, M&A execution, and then new product development for a technology company, those are, I think, three legs of a stool with respect to a capital allocation program that, that makes sense, you know, that you shouldn't have to justify to investors. And I think most boards should be aligned around that sort of a capital allocation strategy. I think buybacks are just not a good a good way to generate return on invested capital. You can also expect us to spend some time covering the media landscape, given that new media has, has blended into the, the, the tech space, where you have Apple, Amazon, AT&T, Hulu, Netflix, all allocating capital toward original content creation, and Netflix leading the way at sort of a $12, 13000000000 billion annual investment run rate on original content so it's going to be fascinating to watch that play out you know the big deal in 2018 obviously was at&t acquiring time warner with the crown jewel there being hbo and hbo's lost some of its shine in the past year as as netflix continues to sort of lead the pack and hbo frankly becomes subscale so at&t is gonna to have to pump money into hbo in order to keep its content library relevant. The one I'm really curious on is is Disney because from a from a purely content standpoint, they have the edge over everybody in terms of content that's been created to date. You know, they have the brand name recognition that even the leader in the space Netflix lacks, whether it's the legacy Disney characters or Star Wars characters, Marvel characters, the content that would be coming over in the Fox deal. So they have a leg up in terms of content intellectual property, Disney does, over everybody. And then we'll see how their their platform, how effective they are in executing the rollout of their platform. From a technology standpoint, I wouldn't expect a, a hiccup. You know, they, they acquired BAM Tech, what was that, 24 months ago now, somewhere thereabouts. I'm, I'm sure they're in, enhancing or have enhanced and will continue to, to add capability to, to BAM Tech from a, from a technology standpoint and a, and a throughput standpoint. I think they've really got to nail the interface, and I don't mean in terms of displaying content when you're when you're watching a, a video, but make it as frictionless as possible, so it's easy for consumers to establish a uh, a credit card relationship with you, Disney, because that's something Disney really doesn't have at at present. Netflix already has that relationship. Amazon, of course, already has that relationship. What will be interesting will be will Amazon partner with with Disney, or is Disney gonna keep their content close to the vest and make it exclusively available on BAM Tech as contracts with third parties such as Netflix 
expire. So in other words, will we see sort of uh, new content bundle formation amongst the, the large players? I believe that for sure we'll see it with smaller over-the-top players. There are just too many services being introduced that are asking consumers to pay $5.99 a month, $9.99 a month for content. You know, it's fine if there's two or three, but if there's 50, and if the consumer wants to enjoy content from 40 of the 50 providers, and if buying access to those individual OTT services now gets you back up to somewhere between two and 300 a month for a content bill, replacing the, the legacy cable bill, then you, know, you really haven't gained anything as a consumer. It's been a net dilutive experience in terms of your pocketbook. So I could see, number one, first stage will be pricing pressure. So I think Netflix, Amazon, Apple, as they gain traction in the market, Netflix already has with its OTT service, Disney, they'll be able to maintain pricing power. But I think some of these newer entrants, there's one I just... Uh, subscribe to in the sports field they do uh boxing and some other sports related content the zone which is 9.99 a month I, I could see content providers such as the zone facing pricing pressure over time and as those providers face pricing pressure maybe they reach out to the larger players netflix disney amazon and say hey is there a way we could become part of a bundle do a revenue share this type of thing and get, and get a fixed payment from you in exchange for that experience, whatever the case may be. But I, I just think some of these tier two, let's call them, tier two and, and tier three content providers are going to have a tough go at it on their own with a one-to-one direct-to-consumer relationship. That's all for now. See you next time.